0: Mark's Gospel chapter 8, we'll read verses 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. And If you're taking notes or want to, uh, the passage of Scripture we're going to read is referenced in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. And we will be referencing there at least in one of those verses. So our text is Mark 8, 34 through 38. The reference scripture is Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Mark eight thirty-four, And when he, Jesus, had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In the text I've read, there are two questions in the middle. In verse 36 and 37. So we're going to label or name the title today. Two soul questions. Two soul questions. One of them, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The second, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Throughout life I have heard educators use this phrase. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And indeed it is. That's the viewpoint of those who promote and believe in education and education is indeed a good thing god has given us a brain a mind even a body to work and the more dormant those things are the more useless the person is so those things are resources that god has given us to exercise, invest in, and use to His glory. So again, it is a sad thing to have a mind or an intelligence that you don't use. The smart people tell us how much of our brain we use. I don't know how they figured that out. Don't put much emphasis on it. But I agree, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. But let's expand upon that, not just the mind. What about a life? You know, when we're talking about a wasted mind, we're talking about a wasted life, are we not? And sadly, that is what the Bible says about those who live their lives in certain directions and in certain degrees and to themselves. That when it is all said and done, the number of years does not matter. It's just a dash on a tombstone, and in, except for God in the equation, it is vanity. It is a waste. So a wasted life is terrible also. But the greatest loss other than the mind and other life is that of the soul. The Bible emphasizes the soul. Because... The mind, the life, the things of life, these things that are material and fleshly will pass away, but the Bible makes it clear the soul will live on. The soul is an eternal thing. We learn things, we forget things in the mind, but the soul will continue on after the body is laid to rest. Remember, the body is simply the tabernacle of the soul. And the Bible tells us, as well as in this text and others, that in the end there will be a judgment and evaluation of the soul, not of the body. The body only acts out and manifests what is in the soul. When I speak of things like this, the scripture comes to my mind in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13 similar to our lesson this morning in Sunday school, every man's work shall be made manifest. That means revealed or exposed when the books and the record are open. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the lives of every individual are going to give accountability unto God and the soul will live on in consequence of how that life and how that soul lived in that dash between birth and death. Now, the flesh, as we know, is temporal. That is going to pass away. Life itself is as a vapor. It's just here a while and it's gone. But the soul lives on. And the sinner, obviously all of us, have the emphasis on the wrong thing. We emphasize naturally as sinners that which is temporal, that which is fleshly, not that which is eternal, and that which is spiritual. It is the nature of sinners for all of us to neglect soul things and emphasize fleshly things. One needs only to stop at the supermarket, at the stand, and look at all the stuff that deal with the body. Enhancing the body, enhancing one's looks, enhancing bodily experiences, and all of these things, nothing is ever said about the soul, is it? Well, the Bible is a soul book. It speaks to us about spiritual matters, not so much about the emphasis of fleshly matters. It says plenty about the flesh, which we need to know the vanity thereof, but the emphasis is on the soul. Now I want you to think about the value of the soul in contrast to the value of the body. And a good place to start would be the first man, Adam. Just think briefly with me about that. The Bible says that God made Adam of the dust of the earth, didn't he? And if you just stop there in the middle of the verse without going any further, you can visualize in your mind, there is Adam. There is a human body, but it is a lifeless body, isn't it? It is no different than a bird nest or a house that you live in. It has no life in and of itself. It is the occupant that gives it life. And then we have those words, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Not just a living, breathing human, but a self-conscious individual made in the likeness of God. And again, we stress different from plant and animal life. Okay? So, the value we see in the original creation is not in the body. That's the house. That's the tabernacle. The emphasis is in the God breathed soul and spirit of man. Now, again, we're getting in an area where we can't clearly define because I can't see your inner person. You can't see my inner person only except as it is manifested in my outer person, right? Well, the outer person is the body. The inner person is the real you. It is the real soul, you see. Now, you want to know why a lot of people have problems with their marriages and things like that? That's because they marry the outer person. The outer person is in a constant state of change. Beautiful is not always going to be beautiful. Things happen to this body. I mean, if you don't believe it, just go back and look at your grade school pictures and start chasing them up to now. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? But the real you is the person inside. And if, you know, if people set their values as God does and the Bible does, on the inner person instead of the outer person, you'd see different marriages, relationships, families, and even Christians in that regard. Now, the point I want to make here in introduction is this. You, like I, like Adam, and every human being, is a living soul. You know, Ezekiel, God says, all souls are mine. There is no accidental soul. If God if you exist as a human being, God made you, God gave you life, and God gave you a soul. And to go along with that, he gave as we often say the instruction manual for your soul. Amen. It's called the word of God, the Bible. And God is going to hold each of us accountable in our souls, and how we heeded the instructions for our souls. He gave us both instructions and he gave us warnings. And one day, as R.G. Lee said in his famous sermon, Payday Someday, there's going to be an evaluation and an accountability of what we have done with our soul encompassing both life, mind, and body. So that's what's being pointed to here in our text by the Lord in Mark 8. We want to look at it in three points, as if we can in the time allowed, and these will be the three points. Number 1, the implied transaction. Number 2, the first question, and number 3, the second question. So first of all, the implied transaction. And in the verses I read 34 through 38, there is transaction in each verse. Many would refer to it like a business transaction. People that don't have money traded things. They bartered things. It was still a transaction. I give you this for that. And people like to trade and like to buy when they get what they want, and especially if they think they got it at a good deal. We all love that. That's just wisdom. You don't have to try to scalp somebody. You just should be wise in in how we use the resources again that God has given us so there's a transaction if you look at it verse 34 we have the word deny and take up okay that is denying the giving up of something and taking up the gaining of something right so there's a transaction there a give and take in verse 35 we have it twice two ways the same words Saving, it says, save his life, will lose it. Who will lose his life will save it. So there again, that's a transaction, a gain or a loss incurred. In verse 37, it's very plain because the question mentions the word profit. And in profit, there is the gaining or the losing. You know, you got to gain to make a profit. And you can lose a profit, so forth and so on. In verse 37, we have the word exchange. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So in in all of these other things we've been looking at, there is an exchange, isn't there, in that regard. So a transaction. There is a transaction when there's an exchange and synonymously vice versa. And then we come to verse 38 and it mentions, Whoso shamed of me and my words now, him will I be ashamed of when when I come again. Now the shame will either be there or not be there based on the gaining and losing, the investment of the soul, what has been done with the life and so forth and so on. The transaction may not be quite as clear there in verse 38, and I would agree to that. But when you read the wording in Matthew's account in the 16th chapter that I referred to at the beginning and the last verse, verse 27... We have this said, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his work. So there again, the transaction is clearly implied and stated in judgment, even though the word shame, a personal application, is applied in Mark's gospel. So reward according to work. So in every verse, it's a transaction, isn't it? Gaining, losing, exchanging, profiting, maybe even not profiting. But what we're talking about here is not dollars and cents. It's not trading horses for sheep and things of that manner or one car for another. The Lord is talking about the most important part and that is the soul of man. There's an old song we used to sing as a child in Arkansas where the soul of man man never dies. You know, the soul will live on. And the implication here is the soul and the soul's eternal destiny. That's what the Lord's talking about, about gaining the world and losing the soul. You know, you're know, you not going to lose your soul in this life. Your soul will be lost when either the Lord comes or you die. Then is going to be the day of loss. You may be losing it now. but it will be lost in its finality when either one of those two events occur. So, it's not just the soul now and who we are and what we are and what we're doing, it's the consequences of that soul eternal destiny. Not just the here and now, but the then and the thereafter. To emphasize or prove this point, I would remind you of a couple of individuals that came to Jesus. One I'm sure you're familiar of. We call him the rich young ruler because the Bible gives two gospel accounts of him. He was very wealthy and he was a ruler of sorts. And he came to Jesus with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that? Well, that was a soul question. That was a soul question. What must I do that my soul will inherit eternal life? That body he was asking that question from and that tongue he was using to say that is not going to inherit eternal life. The body that inherits eternal life will be another body and again it will just be a new tabernacle for the soul that is not tainted or corrupted by sin. It will be a body like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pure, chaste, again, unharmed, undefiled, and never can be with sin. So, that question was a soul question. What may I do to inherit eternal life? A soul question. What can I do? What should I do that I can be positive that my soul will have an eternal destiny of eternal life? Likewise, there was a lawyer, it says, in Luke's gospel also. Luke accounts both of these. The rich young ruler is in chapter 18. The lawyer is in chapter 10. And this lawyer asked the same question, but he was tempting Jesus. And I want you to look at that with me, if you will, in the 10th chapter of Luke. I want to point out one verse. So, one may have been sincere, and this may be worthy of consideration at some future point in a message, but for now, let's just reference it. In that 10th chapter of Luke, he asks the question tempting Jesus, and Jesus responds similarly to the rich young ruler about the law and what the law requires, and so forth and so on. And in Luke 10 and 27 is the verse that I want to point out to you. Luke 10 and 27, uh, after giving the account, the man answers rightly. Notice in verse 27 that uh, the law requires sinners, all men, women, boys, and girls, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And notice, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, with, and thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, that's what the man answered correctly, Right? And so there we see the answer lies deeper than the body, doesn't it? It lies in a devotion of the soul unto God in fulfilling those two commandments. That's what the law requires, right? Now, that's all well and good, of course. The only problem is that nobody's able to do that because of our sinful, corrupt nature. But we see there exactly what is meant with these questions and what the Lord is saying about it being a transaction of the soul that God has given us a soul and God requires with our soul with the utmost of our being, diligence, and sincerity from within to love Him, praise Him, worship Him, adore Him and in so doing Care for our neighbor as ourselves. That is in the Ten Commandments. That's why they are the Ten Commandments, divided into four and six in that regard. Now, to emphasize the accountability of the soul here, and by this I'm simply saying, and I want you to get this, God didn't just give you a soul and turn you loose and say, okay, there you go, have at it, do whatever you want to do, and maybe I'll check on you later on. No that's not life if that's your life then you're 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 on that broad road and you're running at warp speed and so many people we know family fans loved ones are doing that we were there too right I don't know what speed you were going or where you were at but again we were all there no God gave us a soul and with that soul as this lawyer said this is what God requires (laughs) that we love Him with every fiber of our being and our fellow man as ourselves because one day God's going to call that soul into account. And the thing that comes to my mind when I think of that principle or that precept is another parable, the parable of the talents. Remember that? The Lord gave one five, one two, and one one. And on a certain day He came and there was a day of calling each one of them back. Okay, what have you done with what I have given you? That's the bottom line. Do you realize every human being is going to have to face that question one way or another? I mean, that's the judgment. What have you done with what I have given you? And the sinners that will go to hell will be like the man who buried his in the earth. They did nothing with what God did give them or show them. And everyone will be judged according to what God has given them and what he has revealed to them in truth and his word and so forth and so on. And those who have received the most will be required or more accountable or more responsible. So having a soul makes us accountable individuals to keeping these two great commandments of the law. Sinners will be responsible and accountable for their life, how they use their life, and did they give God the glory? We were talking about this a while ago, an intermission or before church here. About, I think, with, uh, before church. You know, about God gives and God blesses everybody. God's grace is general. It rains upon the just and the unjust. But how many people know or acknowledge the hand from whence it comes? Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh where? It doesn't come from below. It didn't come from here. It comes from up there. And who's up there? Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. It all rains down to where we are. And it comes from God. And salvation and eternal bliss and life of contentment and joy and peace is knowing the hand that gives the blessings. Amen. And the Bible reveals that to us. A perfect example of this in this first point is in Luke chapter 12. And this is the parable of, I will call him the barn builder. The Lord called him a fool. Remember, he was well off. He was blessed. And in view of his blessings, he had so much goods, he did not have a place to put it. So he said, I'll tear down these little barns, which probably were pretty good size, and I'll build bigger barns so that I can hold all that I have acquired. Now, this man's soul was in the wrong place. His preoccupation, without going into depth here, was on stuff, things, riches, accumulations. His soul's priority was stuff. It wasn't about sharing. It wasn't about worshiping God. It was about getting and keeping. And that was a very selfish individual. Again, I'm not going to preach that again, but you go through there and look at the pronouns, I, me, mine, and all that, and it's very clear. However, the Lord said, and I'm going to read that, one particular verse there in the 12th chapter, and I believe it is verse 20. God said unto him, "Thou fool! This night shall thy thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall be those things which thou hast provided? Soul will be. Notice that it says be required. That 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 implies more than just dying. Okay, death is obviously meant there, but this goes to the point I've been making. God gave a soul, and God will require something of every soul. And here the language is used, and I emphasize it because it's a word that's only used twice in the New Testament. Here it's translated be required, and it means either to ask again or requite. To requite. To require it back. All right? Have you ever. Given something, we all have given something. Here you can have this, and then maybe Dele said, "Man, I need that." Hey, can I have that back? You know, I mean, I really, You know, I mean, we've we've made mistakes like that. You know, I mean, uh, that's what it's referring to. Well, the Lord has that right. <laughs> he has given us everything, and the question is, what have you given to me? Look at all I've done for you. What have you done for me? So this literally means here when this man died there's an accountability back to God for all that God had given him. What do you think he's going to say? He probably had nothing to say. This is again to mean to ask back to demand back or to exact something that is due. Again the parable of the talents. He gave to them freely didn't he? They didn't earn or work for it. He gave freely to them and only upon giving to them did they become accountable and responsible to Him and at a certain time He came back and said, Okay, I'm asking you, what have you done with what I gave you? And we're talking about the life here. We're talking about a life. We're talking about a soul. Whether it's Methuselah with 969 or you with 99 or 69 or whatever. What have we done with our life? Because God's going to ask back. Look at the... uh, Turn with me quickly to Luke 6. And we'll show you the other usage of this word. And it's crystal clear, the definition, if you haven't got it from what I've said already. Luke 6 and 30... Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. So that means, again, we shouldn't go back or make a habit of that, should we? You know, and most of us, I think, would do this. You know that thing I gave you? Could I have that back? Man, I'll give you such and such if I could just have that back. You know, we've we probably tried to make that transaction to show gratitude, right? You know? But again, it's asking back. So God is going to require back of every human being the soul and the life that He has given with the blessings contained therein and say, this is what I've done for you. Did you do anything for me? Did you love me, obey me, acknowledge me, worship me? Did you acknowledge my Son, the Gospel, etc., etc.? Alright, let's look at the first question. Here we'll transition into it. It is this what shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul and we'll kind of stay along the lines of the barn builder in Luke 12 first of all let's consider the word profit what shall it profit a man what are we talking about there outside of dollars and cents you know you can profit monetarily But I would say to you, if all the profit that you define or look at is defined in dollars and cents, you're really missing the mark. You're really missing the mark. We can profit more in things that are of no monetary value or that can't have a monetary value put on them more than we can monetary. And the reason the emphasis is monetary is the love of money. You know, the Bible says it's the root of all evil. For other, in other words, friendship. A friendship. The friendship I have with some of you and have had for years and other people. I can't put a price on that. I mean, I a mean, million dollars wouldn't touch friendship if it's the right kind of friendship. The, the, the bond that we have in Christ. All the money there ever has been and all there ever will be can't touch it. You see what I'm talking about? So when we talk about profit, I am profited by your friendship more than if you write me a check. Sure, a check will profit, but in a limited capacity. A friendship knows no bounds nor no time nor no ends or no degrees. You say, love. You can't have friendship without love. Who can put a value on that? You see. We're profited. The best things that we're profited by are not things that money can buy. They're not things that you can lay hand on with your hand and take home and store somewhere or put in a safe. No, no, no. They are things of a different nature that profit the soul, the person within. So, what advantage, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Now, it's interesting to pause here and think. Gaining the world is what men have been about ever since men got driven out of the garden. Isn't isn't it ironic when you stop and think about it? Little men, medium men, the average men and big men have all wanted what? Everything the world has to offer. What do they want to do with it? They want it under their power, under their control. It's been true of every generation, of every civilization, of everything—the heathen, the civilized, the uncivilized, the literate, the illiterate. You know, it's like sadly an old rock and roll song: "Everybody wants to rule the world." <laughs> that's the nature of the sinner. I might also add, if that if that seems a little strange to you, do you realize that's exactly what Satan offered the Lord Jesus Christ in his temptation? I will give you all the kingdoms of the world that's what men have always wanted that's what drove Hitler that's what drives Nebuchadnezzar that's, what, that's what's driven all the great Alexander the Great all of them and some of them did in a degree rule the known world the Roman Empire right well in the end what's it all amount to the answer here is not hard you don't have to read volumes of scholarly books to answer this question, do you? If you have any common sense from the Bible, you know the answer. What will it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing. Zero. Not a thing. You know why? Because the world's going to pass away and everything therein. So if anybody could, and those who have gained the most, and have been the boss and top dog over everybody and everything under their control. You know what it all amounted to in the end? Just what Solomon said: vanity. That's right. Amen. Why? Two reasons. First of all, you're going to die. <laughs> and the second reason, it's going to pass away someday. So you're not going to get it either way. Gain the whole world, and yet the preoccupation of sinners is. To gain as much of the world as we can, huh? Whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in land, whether it's in this, whether it's in that, whatever. Degrees, whatever it is. And what profits is that to the soul? It is of no advantage. In fact, we would say to you, most of the times, it is a distraction, a deterrent, a burden, and a hindrance. A simple question, a simple answer. Let's, let's really answer it from some smart people. Can we do that? Job chapter 1, verse 21. We'll, be, we'll try to be brief because we've got to be fast. I'm behind already and I'm trying to make it my duty today to get done by 12 o'clock. This is getting ridiculous. Job 121 and Job said naked came I from my mother's womb naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the Lord as far as we know from that first chapter Job was probably the wealthiest man in his area at that given time he had as much of the world as anybody could have in the time in which he lived and it all just left him the Lord just took it away. And Job said, well, I came into this world naked and I'm going out naked. And you know, again, that, that is such a solemn reality, is it not? I mean, you're not even taking the clothes you're wearing on your corpse when you go out of this world. It'll rot just like we will, won't it? I mean, the, the body will go back to the dust from which it came, but the soul, the spirit, will go back to God and it will be a naked soul and naked spirit there's nothing going going with it now a lot of people got the idea they have their suitcases packed when they die they're going to grab them you know it's not going to happen it's not funny but i heard a joke a long time ago and it makes the point and i don't believe in telling jokes but it makes the point this guy had a bunch of money or something his value and he put it in a bucket in the attic and he was going to get it on his way out you know And after he died and got buried and everything, his wife went up there and looked and the bucket was still there and still had all the money. And she thought, well, maybe he went the wrong direction and missed it. He probably did. You know, it's a simple little joke, but it makes a point, don't it? You're not taking it with you. But people live like they are, don't they? I mean, why do they hold on to it for dear life? What will it profit? Nothing, nothing Solomon, who had more than anybody that we know of ever had, probably anyway, at least in his time, said it like this in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 15. Just exactly what Job said, different words. As he came forth out of his mother's wombs, naked shall he return and go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And if we could summon the man from Luke chapter 12 right now, you know what he'd say? He said, He's right. I had it all, but I didn't take none of it with me. It stayed here and I went on. Well, let's read one more from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and get his two cents worth in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. And we see again the marvel of Scripture. They're all on the same page. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out so what profit is it to gain the world and lose your soul there is no value equal to the soul and that will all be a loss second question what shall a man give in exchange for his soul and the focus here of course is exchange every time we buy something we exchange it right if you, unless you steal it to get it you've got to make an exchange don't you some way somehow So what is an exchange? Very simple. Something that is given in place of something else. I give you a dollar, you give me that candy bar, whatever. Except you can't buy a candy bar for a dollar anymore. But nevertheless, right? You are exchanging one thing for another. I give you a sheep, you're going to give me two cows. It's it's been going on since the beginning of time. It's a transaction. It's the price of one thing in order to acquire or make an acquisition of another thing. And, going back to our rich young ruler, this is exactly what he had in mind when he asked the question of Jesus, what can I do, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And that was the whole problem he had. He wanted to make an exchange... Or you might say, like some have said with the devil, he wanted to sell his soul in some way or buy his soul in some way. He wanted to buy eternal life, obviously. And in so doing, he was buying it for his soul. So it was a transaction he was after. What what can I do to acquire eternal life? And of course, the answer to that is nothing. You know, Jesus took him down the path of the law to show him where his error was and redirect him and he couldn't let go of the dollar. So he went away very sad. But his point was, he wanted to make an exchange. I've said for years, I've used the old expression because of that old game show, let's make a deal, you know. That's exactly what sinners have been doing ever since again Adam and Eve got run out of the garden. They want to make a deal with God. God is not in the deal making business with sinners. Let me tell you. God sets the price and you pay up or else you pay. That's it. That's God's way of doing business. You don't have anything you can exchange for your soul because you don't have anything of value to start with and neither do I. We don't have anything that meets the value of the soul in eternal life. Not in God's bank. Not in God's standard. So Paul said to Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done has he saved us, but it's all been mercy. The sinner has nothing to exchange, and that's what the rich young ruler was seeking out. All our righteousness, and that's what the rich young ruler was pointing out, because he said the things of the law, he kept all of them. That was what he was wanting to exchange. He wanted to exchange an obedient life of righteousness to God's law for eternal life. Do you you see that in that? That's exactly what he was after. He said, I've kept all of these from my youth. up." What did he lay on the table? You know, that's what he put on the table. And to him, he put a lot on the table. And in God's eyes, he didn't put nothing on the table because all our righteousness are nothing but filthy rags but that's the exchange sinners want to make always has been always will not of grace but of works in Luke 12 the man there he lost it all his stuff was of more value than his soul and he didn't get to take his stuff with him when he died so he had nothing to exchange for his soul did he and that's the way it will be in sinners in judgment. There is nothing they can say, well, I've got this, Lord. You know, we've all seen and heard the deals about, okay, uh, people, uh, you know, gambling and doing things, and, inv- and it's no different today. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to do things in Wall Street. I'm not saying that. There's wisdom in that, and there's foolishness in that, Okay. But when a person will put everything they've got into something like that for the world with a chance and a risk of losing it all, I believe I could say like the Lord said to the man in Luke 12, you're a fool. You know, I mean, what are you seeking to gain? Why are you playing such a volatile thing? And you know, we've seen it again in the reference example I was going to make of people who, well, they put every penny they got on the table, you know. They're all in on everything else. And then if that's not enough, they're going to put the deed to the farm in there. They'll put anything, everything they've got and can rake up and put in there, and even their own soul, right? And then what? Lose it all. What profit? I mean, it's a foolish endeavor. So it is a foolish endeavor to pursue things after the world and after the flesh and to neglect one's soul. And that's what the man in Luke 12 did. In Luke 16, there was the rich man and there was Lazarus. The rich man had it all. What did it get him? I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich. I'm saying, what are your priorities? Your soul or your riches? That man's priority was riches. Most people's riches are their priority. Jesus confirmed that when He said how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Riches tend to be obstacles when they should be blessings if you recognize the hand they come from. That man went to hell. Lazarus went to heaven. One emphasis was soul issues. The other was worldly issues. So sad. The sad part is Jesus said in the Sermon on Mount Luke 7, some people are going to try to plead that exchange in judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not done this and have we not done that? You know what they're doing? They're still trying to make a deal. Lord, I've got this to exchange. I've prophesied in your name. Lord, I've... And the Lord will say, Depart, I never knew you. Nothing worthy of an exchange. What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? Same as the other question. You don't have anything to give. Nothing. There is nothing. God didn't ask for you to exchange. God didn't ask for your good works. When you failed in one tittle of the law, that got washed out. You don't have nothing to give. If we could exchange, we would earn it. And it can't be earned. Not by works of righteousness. We are saved by grace. Through faith. Salvation is not you exchanging anything you have For God's heaven, God's eternal life, many have taught that, most have, most do, but it is free, sovereign grace. That's it. That's what the Bible teaches. This came to me and I love it. It's in the song Rock of Ages. This expresses it exactly as it is. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's it. There's no exchange in that, you see. We don't have anything to bring. We love the song, Just As I Am. What did Jesus say? Just come. Come as you are. I'm not asking you to bring me anything. Just bring me your broken soul. Your repentant spirit. That's acceptable. I close by saying this, salvation is an exchange. But it's not one that we make. Amen. If we make it, it's of works. God made it and it's all of grace. Thank you, Thank you. And we rejoice in that, do we not? The exchange that was made for salvation was made by our Lord and Savior, God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. He did it for us. We didn't have to be a part of it. It was his transaction. It was his exchange. Let me give it to you how it was. John 14 and 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's the exchange. It's through Christ or there is no exchange. Eternal life will be given to nobody except through Jesus Christ. It won't be given to another human being. It won't be given through rites and ceremonies. It won't be given through works. It won't be given through denominations. It won't be given through religions. It won't be given through false prophets or anything else. Eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ. And that is because John 10 and 11 says the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That's the only exchange we know of as believers. You want to talk about an exchange for salvation? It's nothing that I give, nothing that I brought. He did it all. He came here and made that transaction. Calvary was a transaction, Calvary was an exchange. For the souls of the sheep. Read it with me again. John ten eleven. I am the good shepherd. This good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What is the beneficiaries of that get? Verse 28. I give unto them eternal life. He could not give eternal life unto them if he had not laid down his life blood for them. But since he did and made that exchange with God the Father, he can give us eternal life freely and they shall never perish and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter, let's hear what you have to say. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 by which all wrong verse he died the just for the unjust that's the verse I won't take up the time to look up the correct scripture there but the just for the unjust is the only exchange acceptable unto God Isaiah 118 though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they will be as wool there is the exchange What shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? How do you answer those two soul questions? What is the value of the soul? What is the exchange that can be made? I believe we have given you the biblical, truthful, scriptural answers today. And they didn't originate with me. God gave them to us he gave them to all of us i've simply shown them to you today so to the lost we say you need to contemplate this you need to meditate this to those of you who are saved we can rejoice that he made the exchange on our behalf. when if we could we wouldn't but we weren't able but he was and he did so praise and glory to his name jesus christ is our exchange And we have eternal life because He laid down His life for us. And we benefit eternal life because He can give it. It is finished. God bless this to